All right, we can jump in. So going live on Facebook, um, I see people slowly streaming in. And uh, as this gets published and we start streaming in, let's jump into uh, the intro for today. So hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on today's session for the Tamil Innovators Spotlight. The Tamil Innovator Spotlight is a really amazing online series, which puts the spotlight on individuals from the global Tamil community who are building great products, services, and initiatives. Our latest event is brought to you in partnership with mystartupdojo.com and tamilculture.com. Um, my name is Anjali Narendran, and I am so excited to be your host today. I'm program director at mystartupdojo.com, host of the Young at Heart show, and also two-time robotics world champion. I founded my first venture when I was 15 years old, and now I'm committed to spreading the spirit of entrepreneurship with other young people through Startup Dojo. Enough, but enough about me. Uh, let's jump into this awesome event and introduce our incredible speaker for this evening. Without further ado, I'm so excited to welcome our featured speaker for this, for this evening, Suba Umadhavan, the CEO of Drosos Foundation. Thank you so much, Suba, for joining us today. Thank you so much, Anjali. It's wonderful to be here. And thank you so much um, for hosting me. And thank you to Tamil Culture as well. Awesome. And um, just so that the, our audience can know how awesome you are, because you're really, your past is absolutely incredible. Um, I'm going to give them a bit of a, a bit of a teaser. So Suba was the CEO of Plan International Switzerland. This is an organization that advances children's rights and equality for girls. Today, Suba, as I mentioned before, is the CEO of Trosos Foundation. And this foundation supports projects aimed at promoting life skills of disadvantaged children and young people. With offices in Berlin, Cairo, Casablanca, Ramallah, and Zurich, Trosos Foundation co-creates projects to promote economic independence and creative skills of young people in the MENA region, Switzerland, and Germany. So really, really cool background. You're doing some am absolutely amazing things. Once again, I'm so excited to jump into this conversation and thank you for being with us today. Same here, same here, thank you. Yeah, so um, tell, to get us started, can you give us a little bit of a background on um, Drosos and how it bega began and how you got involved? That's a very good question because I joined the Drosos Foundation only very recently in uh, November of last year. So you can imagine I just started a new job as a CEO in the current uh, pandemic situation. So I haven't really met the entire team physically yet. So that's a bit of a challenge. But in terms of the beginning of Drosos Foundation, um, the foundation was initiated about 17 years ago in Switzerland. It was set up with a private endowment and it has spread the work throughout the region, Middle East, uh, Middle East, North Africa, Switzerland, and Germany. When I was with Plan International Switzerland, I already knew about the work of Drosses Foundation. It has a reputation of promoting young people, economic independence, creative skills, as you explained very well. Um, so I knew the organization already. So it wasn't an absolutely hard decision to join the organization. It was an incredible opportunity for me personally, for my personal growth. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's just uh, 
it has been an amazing journey now this past five months leading the organization. And um, just to, and also um, you, you were, before that you were, um, you led Plan International Switzerland. So just to get background on that and maybe the connection, can you tell me a bit about the work there um, and then how you got involved there? You might be familiar with Plan Canada. Yeah. Plan is a very large global organization. And looking at you, I thought, um, Anjali, people like you, that's exactly what Plan aspires to do. You know, young women, girls, being independent, voicing, being a voice for themselves. And also you're in, in STEM and robotics. That's, that's the kind of the dream ambassador for Plan. So I got involved with Plan five years ago. Uh, I started working as a head of major partnerships. So I did a, quite a bit of fundraising. I worked in programs. And then I got the opportunity to lead the organization as the CEO of the Swiss entity. Being based in uh, 76 countries across the world. So um, it was really a remarkable experience to see how you can make a difference in young people and particularly young women and girls life. And for me, that was personally, it was a, a quite a large mission for me to, to promote young people's empowerment, particularly girls and being part of plan that I can't ask for more in terms of the experience, you know, having worked in pretty much every continent in the world. Awesome. And, um... So there, one kind of overlap is uh, is the theme of. So there's some there's some overlaps between what you do at Trosos and Plan in mm -hmm. terms of the values and the things that you're fighting for. So if you had to pinpoint, you know, three values that really drive who you are and what you want to do, um, with your time and, and through your work, what would those three values be? Values is a very important part of. Um, organizations I've been part of. I think in terms of uh, my career, um, I can't ask for um, more opportunities to be part of purpose-driven organizations. They're from every single part of those organizations have been purpose-driven. So in terms of those values, I would say first and foremost would be um, creating equality. Creating equality, not only gender equality, but also really looking at the social justice aspect. And uh, just being in a pandemic situation right now, we could see how much COVID-19 exacerbated existing inequalities. And I think looking at that, I, I realized, you know, the work that we've done in the past couple of decades, from one second to the other, girls were not going to school. And there were so many elements of, of that pandemic that affected people that already pretty much had nothing. So I think in terms of values, I would definitely say kind of promoting social justice and also the respect and dignity for, for people. And that's something I greatly appreciate being part of um, Drossos. Drossos really looks at um, empowering people, really helping themselves to, to have their own income, uh, really looking at their value creation in terms of income generation and everything that they can um, even in, a, in an environment where there is no market, you can still promote self-employment, et cetera. So that's uh, kind of promoting uh, 
respect and dignity. And the last part of my values is the also being an inspiring leader. I think I, I do take the responsibility of myself being a leader and a leader of uh, uh, being from a diverse background, being a woman. I think there's a lot of responsibility that comes with it that you play as a role model. I take that part seriously as well. So um, I'd love to, all of these values you mentioned, all super fascinating. And I'd love to dive into them a little bit deeper. So um, on the theme of, of promoting social justice, have you always, for that one specifically, has that always been a value in your life, even outside of maybe Plan and Androsos? Absolutely. I think when we look at uh, just going back to our roots, right, I think our beginning is uh, about social justice. I was born in Sri Lanka and my parents fled the country together with me because of the war uh, that happened. And, you know, that was a very uh, basic injustice that happened to Tamil people. So I think the very beginning of our, um, of our people is uh, fighting for social justice. And uh, my dad was someone who was always uh, very engaged into, into politics. And my first memories of him talking to me was about political subjects. And, um, and I think that definitely uh, instilled uh, a lot of those values about social justice in me. And I think the other part is being a woman in, in our culture, it comes with its own challenges as well. So I think, um, I th you know, I find it incredible to see young women like yourself now, but I think when I was growing up in Switzerland, I was one of the first generation of uh, Tamil girls to go to school here in Switzerland. And you were always kind of the first person in any environment. And I was always kind of the first brown girl in school. And that, that, was, that was a challenge. And I think that, um, that definitely gave me the motivation and inspiration to make a difference. And, um, and help others to, to find their voice in a context like that. Yeah, and then, then the second one you mentioned was promoting dignity. Is that, in a similar way, has that also um, been an ongoing theme in your life? I think so. I think um, us being refugees, I think refugees, a lot of people, the way they bring up that topic is, um, is not in a very dignified way. I don't think anyone leaves their own a safe space and environment voluntarily. So I think the very being, of, uh, being a refugee comes with an with a, um, anecdote of there, there's no dignity to it. And I think um, I think that was also definitely an aspect where you feel, you know, we need more confidence. And um, even some of the work I've done in the past with refugees and particularly with PLAN, with Drossos, we're doing a lot of work with refugees, not only in the Swiss context, but in, in some of the, um, a lot of the Middle East, uh, Middle Eastern countries, a lot of the countries in South America, particularly with PLAN. How can you provide the dignity uh, to refugees that they can actually um, lead themselves and um, lead their initiative? A lot of them have, um, they were leaders in their own environment. You know, they had their own businesses. They had a very settled life. They, they, were, they were educated and suddenly they're, they're 
in a context where they're completely newcomers, don't know the language, but how can you actually help them um, lead a life of dignity? And how, how can we give um, the dignity that our parents deserve? I think, you know, what, one of the driving force behind our success or the ambition we have as Tamil people around the world is because we were um, stripped away from that dignity. And I think there is this um, uh, intrinsic motivation in all of us that we want to show the world that we can achieve something. So on the note of trying to promote dignity for other individuals, whether that, whether that be refugees or otherwise, how do you go about um, thinking through, you know, how, how to do that and, and implementing it? That's an excellent question, Anjali. I think um, involving them in program design, I think, um, and that's something I'm incredibly proud of, you know, all organizations, I've, I've shaped my career over, over the past decade. Participation of people has been an incredibly important element. It's not, you're not going there, you're not um, dictating them to, to do anything, basically. So they co-design, they, they create their own future. And that's, that's the future for development work as well. So in, in creating those dignities, particularly now with Drossos, what we do is not necessarily, we, we provide the financial support and the support they need, uh, the skills they need to achieve uh, some of those results. But in terms of the end results, it's the grassroots organizations that do the work. That's one reason Drossos also is based in, you know, we're not, we don't only have an office in Zurich and, you know, go down there and do the work. It's not at all like that. So we do have a basis in Casablanca. We do have a basis in Ramallah, in Cairo. We work, our staff are local people. So it's, it does, it has a different sense to it than, you know, kind of that top-down approach, but it's a very much of a grassroots approach where they really, um, design solutions for their own problems. Right, and um, that makes total sense. So as a leader, how do you make sure that that high level strategy actually gets implemented, you know, with the people who are on the ground? That's the hardest part. Yeah. And that's probably also one of the challenging aspect of being a CEO today, because I think I, I started off on the ground. So it's, it's a, huge sense of, um, of missing that, you know, I still get very excited when I get to go on a travel. And you can imagine having started this job five months ago, I haven't, I haven't seen any of my um, local teams yet or the local offices. So that's, um, that's definitely a challenge to get the feel. So what you, um, again, it goes back to the participation as well. So currently we are going through a new strategic process and um, looking at the work of Drossos, uh, the work we've done over the past 17 years, what are things that are working? How has the external landscape of the organization changed since the organization started? One example is uh, particularly in the region where we work in the past 10 years, uh, the Arabic, um, Arab Spring happened. So that has shaped the region quite a bit. So what are those political implications for young people? Um, how can Drossos actually support in that context? That's one thing. And what, is, what has our performance been? What is the result with the organization that we are promoting and we're building capacity, we're doing organizational development with? How can we actually do that in a more 
focused um, terms? How can we actually support those organizations even more? And then the structure of our organization. Are we today set up still to achieve the results we want or are we heavy on structure or are we, do we need to think about restructuring some of the elements of the organization? And in that work, every single part of the organization, including our partners are involved. So our partners, everyone co-designs our strategy just to give us feedback. What do they like with work that we are doing with us? And what are things they feel this is time consuming? And as you can imagine, most of the times reporting is quite time consuming. So I think these are the elements that we're trying to design. So it's not me sitting in an office in Zurich and just coming up with a strategy, but really listening to the to also beneficiaries and work people that we work with. Right, so communication is two ways, it goes up and down the chain. Absolutely, and communication is key. <laughs> yeah. um, and shifting gears a tiny bit, um, we've talked a little bit about you know, your role as a leader. Um, so how, building yourself as a leader, clearly it comes with many hurdles um, and, and points of learning. So can you think of a particular challenge that sticks out to you um, and how you overcame it. So this can either be through something you experienced at Plan or Trosos or otherwise. I think my biggest challenge has always been me seeing myself as a leader first. I think it's, uh, it might sound a bit uh, cliche, but I think I've always been the kind of person, um, I don't think it was ever my ambition to be, to be a CEO or a leader per se. I think I've always been um, uh, a person who has that natural ability to lead. I'm very initiative and um, I'm very pragmatic when it comes to, I just want to look at, um, you know, I see a problem and I look for solutions. So simple as that. And I think that led one thing to the other. Uh, and I had really amazing people around me who also promoted me. So I got to this position of where I start to enjoy being a leader because I see the impact you can create in that. But in terms of the challenges, it's, um, it's not even kind of a large hurdle along the way, but it's like different barriers and things um, that, you, that you face along the way that it's it just annoying sometimes, right? Even just very recently, I had an experience of uh, being in a room with, um, um, with, with a couple of leaders and um, us being a foundation. So we've got a certain amount of wealth. Our annual budget is 30 million. And there are a couple of wealth managers, banks that manage our wealth and they invest the money. And um, I, was, I was in a virtual panel with people and um, they, you know, there were about four people on the panel and they were kind of looking at the screen and they were kind of asking, oh, where is, where is Ms. Umatevan? And they were kind of looking at me, right? And I think it's, it's those um, bias that you sometimes face because for one, you, you never look like a leader for, for, the, for the eyes of many people. So you're always, you know, most of my finance directors in the past have been white males. And every time I walk into a room, people would think he's the CEO. And uh, it's, it's things like that, that you just, you, you get used to it, but um, it's, it's that annoying part of kind of always that need of almost you have to prove yourself before you're being recognized as a leader. But now I've, I've sort of come to, 
uh, terms with that fact. So I, I, I let my results speak for, for itself, right? In the end, I am the CEO. So I, I've got the responsibility and uh, it's beyond that. But I think it's many people face, face challenges like that. It's really overcoming it. And it's also recognizing for myself that the need to go beyond of, that I can't be perfect, but also listening to my team to feel the pulse of the team. And I take my responsibility extremely, extremely serious because the hurdle is also a kind of the anxiety you sometimes have going in front of the team. Sometimes you don't feel like maybe talking to 40 people at once, but you overcome that fear and those hurdles. And um, you just, you, you deliver uh, whatever context you're in. And I'm also very conscious of um, the feelings I trigger in my team because as a CEO, whatever I say, every word I say has, has meaning and triggers something in my team. And I think that's something I've, I've come, to, come to learn that I can't be too spontaneous or just say things on the passing, but that I need to be more conscious about and careful about um, words and language I use. And it's, it's little things like that that you overcome. And I, I have to say, it's, a, it's an everyday learning process. Uh, I'd like to zero in on the last point you mentioned. I think that's very interesting. So the, the process of realizing you need to be more conscientious about even your, your wording. So was there a particular experience that made you realize that? And, and what has the impact of that, that lesson been? I think it's also the difference when you change organizations, right? I think organizations always follow a certain culture. So I think um, at Plan, I had a team that I more or less built myself. So it was um, a, a new team. We were building everything together. Although it was an established organization, we almost had a startup culture internally. So that felt more so I could be very much... Um, I can always be vulnerable. I can, you know, bounce off ideas with my team. With Drossos, it's an established team. There, there are people in my team who've been there for, for 10 years, for 15 years. It comes with a, a different kind of culture as well. It's, a, it's an amazing experience to have people, people who've been with the organization for such a long time with me. But I think the experiences were more um, for instance, if you, um, I'm used to giving very direct feedback, but direct feedback, not in a rude way, but just direct. I think it's, I don't like to beat around the bush. It's really kind of put the fish on the table before it gets smelly. And, um, and I think it's, it's just saying it. And I did realize with, um, with Drossels, it was more, they, they were more careful with their words. So I think um, you know, I did get the feedback, for instance, the day after that I might have heard someone's feeling, which I absolutely didn't mean that way. But I ended up apologizing to the person saying, you know, the work was still great, but what I meant didn't reflect on their on their performance, but rather on how how can we actually envision this for the future. So I think it's it's more people giving me feedback and that I'm also in the process of learning that I need to be a bit more careful in, in you know, in what I say. Right. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. I think it's so, so interesting to learn how you as a leader, there have been so many moments for you to learn as well. Um, Absolutely. Right. And that's also something, actually, I, I also come 
came to learn in the process of being a CEO now in two different organizations. At some point in the beginning, I always had the um, kind of an attitude that I needed to be the knower, that as a CEO, you have to know everything. But I think now I've come to realize, and of course, I've got a lot, also people around me as mentor coaches who also kind of uh, give me that wisdom that it's, there's more value in as a CEO, a leader, as a learner. And it's a permanent process. I mean, there's absolutely no way I can know everything. It's a, it's a team effort. And now I've come to terms with, um, you know, it's, it's not even good to be the knower, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a leader as a learner. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting, the concept of being a leader as a learner. And especially, um, you mentioned earlier how you just recent f- five months ago, you, you, you've been taking over Drosos and, and running that. Um, what has it been like to transition to a new leadership role during a pandemic? <laughs> communication, communication is key. So you can imagine, I'm, I mean, I'm having these conversation kind of from, from morning till evening, right? This is, this is kind of my day-to-day business. Um, but it has been it has been good in some ways as well because it also shows you um, what possibilities you have, right? I think you know the the team I left at Plan International Switzerland they haven't actually returned to the office yet, so they haven't even with their new um, uh, with my successor they haven't had a normal business day in the office. So it's such a it's a, such a strange experience. Uh, but at the same time, I'm extremely grateful for my team. Uh, you know, I I'm always being up to date and you know they make the effort to uh, put me in touch with the partners you know I've, I've had uh, conversations with our partners from across the region although it's not the same thing in, in you know meeting people it has a different connection but it still has been has been possible and um, I definitely look into the kind of the new ways of working as well, because I think a hybrid model could be super interesting for the future, you know, keeping some of the elements from now and, and going into kind of that physical space. But in some ways, you're also more productive, right? Because I think um, you do miss the small small talks and everything and really connecting with your team and bonding. But at the same time, you are in some ways, you're also more efficient. You're, you have your space. Um, no one kind of bumps into bumps bumps into each other and um, asks for you know it, it it can be time consuming sometimes so th- there's two sides to it so it has been it has been an interesting experience of course if I if I had the choice I would have loved to see my my team um, you know by now but um, that's that's the situation it is right and on the note of COVID nineteen uh, expanding out a little bit. How have you seen the pandemic impact maybe some of the vulnerable populations that Drosos or even Plan um, tries to help? In many ways, um, particularly being in Switzerland, I also felt how how privileged we are. Right, I think for us it was particularly when the it, it was this week. It was exactly a year ago where we all went into home office and kind of the first lockdown happened in Switzerland. And for us, it's been a bit more time at home, uh, more time with your partner. Um, and last year, the t- this time around, the weather was great. So we were out a lot also when it comes to, um, because there's with the socially distanced um, possibilities, you, you still have that freedom. But 
home and home is not always safety for everyone, right? I think you, we also saw the numbers of domestic violence increase, including in Switzerland. We saw schools are sometimes a safe space for particularly girls in a lot of the countries where we work. And what happened after the, when the pandemic hit was also the early marriage numbers went up, female genital mutilation went up. The possibility of um, the work we did at Plan to get girls into school was huge. And once they drop out, to get them back to school, it's, it's, um, it's an incredible task. And, and I, that, that was something that was just outrageous. And I think that's something that, that really hurt me personally, just to see the, the years of work that so many people around the world have put in just being dismantled just in a couple of weeks, right? And I think this is something we have to rebuild on. And uh, this is hopefully also a moment for, for everyone also to come to terms, what is our possibility as, as people, right? I think that we really recognize the privilege we have and um, be more responsible when it comes to environment, providing support for people who are vulnerable. I hope people also found some some reflection time during during COVID. All right. So so coming out of this time, how do you feel? What what are some of the big goals that um, you have for Drosos long term, and how has COVID maybe influenced those goals? This is exactly what we're trying to answer with our strategic process. <laughs> I think uh, so. From kind of assuming some of the results beforehand. Um, I think the COVID-19 pandemic definitely also showed what is, um, what is needed when it comes to investments. And I think that that was one, one conscious decision I made moving from the, from the NGO side to, to a foundation. There are resources, there are, um, there's tons of philanthropic organizations. In Switzerland, there's more than 15,000 philanthropic foundations. So you can imagine how many how many billions are in in just just in Switzerland in some of the sectors, and the most important takeaway for me from COVID is also for us how we can actually join forces with the, whether it's private sector, whether it's um, other philanthropic organizations, NGOs, governments. We always talk about. The, the strength of partnerships. And I feel this is really the moment where we have to put all the efforts together to res, address some of the needs. And I think we also see it with the, um, with the vaccination rollout. The vaccination rollout will get to the more disadvantaged probably at, at last, right? So, so again, also talking about the social justice portion. So it's every part of our anything we do has an element of social injustice. So I think we as, as individuals, as well as the organizations we work with, whether that's, again, as I said, private sector or philanthropic foundation, NGOs, any organizations, I think the success in, in the results we will achieve and, and creating lasting change is really in the partnerships. So can you expand on what you say, what, what you mean when you say partnerships? What, what, what does that look like um, in a more detailed way? Mm-hmm. For instance, what happened in the past is um, when, you, when you, for instance, look at, that's a good example. You know the Millennium Development Goals, right? 
So they were, to some extent, they were achieved and most of it not. And, um, and then after 2015, the UN, UN came up with um, the Sustainable Development Goals. And when you look at those 17 goals, there's absolutely no way that those goals can be achieved, only NGOs working on those goals. For one, there's not even resources to, to kind of finance that. And all of those goals are you know, kind of up in the air. There's, there's no clear KPIs or indicators to really measure how they will be met, right? And for some organizations, it, it has been more of a marketing campaign to kind of putting on, you know, that we, they were working on a certain SDG, but whether they're actually doing something, it's another question. So to resolve some of the issues that we're seeing today, I don't think any one part of our society or, you know, can, can actually achieve that. And we need brilliant minds, actually like yourself, Anjali, that would, for instance, create solutions to some of the challenges we're seeing. So one aspect, for instance, is in the development sector, there's this whole idea of you can actually create IT solutions for the development work. For instance, cash-based um, um, you know, banking systems for women in, in rural Kenya. And those are initiatives that have been coming up. And that's not something that, um, that an NGO or um, a small grassroots organization that works in a slum in Kenya can achieve. So in terms of partnerships, they do need the support of brilliant minds like you. They need the financial support of other foundations. They, they do need the support of private sector companies who can actually create solutions. And they do need the support of governments to, 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 to some extent. And I think all of those elements together, we can actually um, achieve something, right? I think even with the vaccine, vaccination rollouts, right? I think it's, um, it's really the lack of collective effort that we can't really do anything. So it's really the, the collective effort I'm talking about. Yeah, it's a very good point. You know, we can't rely on just NGOs alone to, to help us hit those sustainability goals. It's just not mm -hmm. quite practical. So I can see how the the importance of of these of, of the partnerships you speak of, how 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 crucial that would be. And one of the sustainable development goal is actually partnerships. It's a it's a last goal. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ah, I good. I didn't know that. Good to know. So um You've, you've had a very, very, very interesting career and you've contributed to so many really, truly amazing things. So if you had to look back on your on all of the amazing things you've been a part of, um, what's the best memory that you have? For me, the best memory is really connecting with people in, in different places I've worked in. For instance, um, in, in some of my experience I've had in, um, for instance, in working in Mali, having, having late night conversations with my colleagues in uh, Tombouctou and, um, you know, in Sierra Leone, working with young girls who've been, who've been raped during the war and gave birth to um, young children when they were kids themselves. And working in, uh, in, in the, Kiberan slums in, in Kenya. And, um, and, you know, people really accept you as, as their own. And I think that those moments I really realized I'm a, I'm, I myself, I'm a very proud Tamil. I, every possibility I get, I do share stories with, uh, with people. What is, what is our background? What is our culture? And also kind of trying to 
um, you know, have those exchanges on, on that personal level. And I think in those moments, I also realized um, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter where you're from or what your culture you're from. It, you know, human connections go, go beyond that. I think, uh, um, you know, beyond race, gender or any, any differences. And I think and currently I kind of miss those human connections, but um, that's, that's the best memory I have. I think working with people who, who show so much kindness despite not, not having much themselves. Right. And when were you, when were you on the ground in, in Sierra, Sierra Leone and the other countries you mentioned? So it, it was all before I, um, uh, when I joined Plan International Switzerland, I was based in Zurich. So I would more mostly travel to some of the countries, but before I was with an organization called Soroptimist International and um, with UNESCO before that. And that's when, that was around 2010, 2011. So it's kind of in this pair of those five, six years that I was working on the ground. Right. And how did you decide that you wanted to, um, you wanted your career to be in this space as opposed to maybe something more conventional? Um, how did you decide that you wanted to focus your career on social justice and, and yeah, and what you do now? Mm-hmm. So I started to, uh, my career, that's, that's almost my accident if I think back now. I wanted to become a diplomat. That's why I, I wanted to be an ambassador. And I think that was kind of my, um, my assumption. That's how you connect with people back then, right? So I, I, was, I was, again, I was fascinated by politics and international relations given, given my dad's inspiration. And um, when, I, when I came to Geneva to do my master's, I, you know, working, you know, working with some organizations there, having started with UNESCO, I did realize that, um, first of all, I wasn't very diplomatic. So then the other element was that I was, um, I was very hands-on, you know, I, I like seeing results, I'm not much of a bureaucrat, etc. So I think that was the a shaping moment for me, how I entered the NGO space. And frankly, I don't think um, I would be where I am today without actually entering the NGO space. I think having that ground experience, connecting with people, having managed projects myself, gave me that experience to do all of all of this now. I'm, I'm glad I didn't become an ambassador. Right, and it's really cool. I think it's really fun to look back and see how um, those little moments in your life, like you, at the moment, you thought you're you're going one way, but then it, you you pivoted, and that turn ended up getting you where you are today. So that's very cool. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I it's I agree. It's all it's always those little moments, and I've always also listened to what I wanted to do. It's, it goes back to the values question you asked, right? I think I, I made a lot of my decisions value-based. This is something I want to do. And I think in the meantime, between, um, between being on the ground and joining Plan International, I did work in private sector as well. I was a consultant with, uh, with a lot of different um, uh, private sector organizations, multinationals. And I could, I could see that's not something I wanted to you know, invest my time in. And nothing wrong with, with people who actually invest their time in that if they can actually... Um, if that's what they want, it's perfectly fine, but that's not exactly what I wanted. Right, yeah. Um, and 
this question kind of goes back to that. It relates to this theme. But if you could go back in time and give teenage you any advice, what would that advice be? That's an intriguing question. I think it's also kind of a cliche, right? I think um, teenage me was probably very innocent <laughs> and <laughs> probably um, too, too idealistic in many ways, I think. So I would probably, and, and overthinking certain things. I think um, what I would, as an advice, give my teenage self is definitely to try a lot of things. You know, not to be too worried about where would your career lead, what, what studies you have to choose, but to be bolder in, um, in your experiences. You know, it's, uh, I think, yeah, I would, I would definitely get, kind of take more risks. Take more risks. How did you get used to taking risks throughout your life? It's a bit of a funny thing with me because um, I, I am, you know, I always, people are surprised when I tell them that I get anxious, for instance, if I, you know, before doing something or nervous, because usually you don't see it with me. But, um, but I think, you know, even if I'm scared or anxious or anything, I just kind of push myself and do it. But I personally feel that goes back to me being a performer. You know, I started off, I've, I've done part of the RTM, I've done all the, you know, I've done speech contest on stage. And I think that's not something you think. It's, it's really the moment of whether you want to do it or not, you take a risk and you just go on stage. And I think that's maybe something that I, um, I probably got used to as a habit that serves me to this day, where um, there's no, um, just very recently, you know, I started studying Arabic. Not that I can conduct any meeting in Arabic, but it's, it's really a motivation, you know, leading an organization that has that, that is working in the Middle Eastern region. So I should I should be learning Arabic. And there's elements of those languages where you want to say things, try things. Um, but I'm, I'm not I'm not embarrassed or, you know, I don't I don't think too much about these things. And even as a CEO, I'm, I'm sometimes fine to embarrass myself doing certain things. So I think it's it's, it's good to have that uh, joyful nature as well. Yeah. And how, what's, what can you think of maybe a big risk that seemed very scary at the, at the, at the time, but eventually, you know, ended up shaping your life for the, your career for the better. Joining Drossos. Joining Drossos. I think that was, that was definitely, I, perhaps not a huge risk, but, um, but definitely a daring move for me because um, I was I was the CEO of an organization. You know, I was I was thriving. I was um, I was leading an amazing organization. Everything was going so well. So one thing when I was um, when I was interviewing for the position of becoming a CEO, so I was basically headhunted for the position. So it's not even something I um, I I wasn't planning to leave that plan per se. So in every step of the way, um, there was a um, headhunter who kind of led the process. They actually, um, you know, in some of the conversations, they were, they were raising the concern that I should really think about it um, perhaps a, a few more times before accepting the job, because it could be, be a risk of joining an organization that's completely new, a very established organization. And joining a foundation in Switzerland, it, it, is, a, it is an institution, right? It comes with its privilege. And um, it's, a, it's quite a bit of a position of power. 
And they really um, told me to reconsider or at least uh, reflect on it, not to leave a, a zone of comfort for me and joining something that is really, you know, something I hadn't done before, right? I haven't, I've not even worked in a foundation, let alone leading a foundation. So I think that was, that was a daring move completely out of my comfort zone. I did it and I'm very happy about it. Awesome. So we've, we've had a great discussion ranging from the beginning of your career, your roots, your values to where you are today and where you're going. If you could leave before we, before we end off, if you could leave our audience with one big takeaway, what would that takeaway be? It's probably a culmination of uh, the conversation we had today, Anjali. I think the, to believe in the transformative power of individuals. I think that's something I've, I've, I've seen it in my experience, N not being arrogant in that statement, but, but I know that I have shaped things, shaped organizations, I've shaped um, projects that I've worked in. And I think there's so much power in, in an individual. And I think that's some everyone should really take that as a, as a responsibility. Thank you so much for sharing that wonderful note. I couldn't think of a better way to end off. Thank you so much for your time today, Seba. This was a truly wonderful discussion. And um, I know I enjoyed this so much and I learned so much. So I know it was at least, I hope it was at least as beneficial for our listeners. So thank you again. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much, Anjali, and thank you so much for, for uh, thank you so much to Tamil Culture. I think you know I love the platform. I love the work they're doing, and I I wish you all the best and keep shining. I think uh, you're 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 going places. From you, that means that means a lot. So thank you so much, and, and and to our audience, thank you so much for tuning in today. Um, once again, I'd like to thank all the amazing people who helped make this event possible from Shiv and Ara to Tamil culture at, at Tamil culture um, to Subha, our incredible, absolutely incredible speaker this evening. Please be, be sure to visit tamilculture.com to network and collaborate with Tamil innovators worldwide. Thank you again, Subha, for being involved in the event. Be sure to check out Trosos and thank you everyone for tuning in. See you next time. Thank you so much.